So about uh, 1985-ish, okay, it was Christmas, and my brother and I tore into our boxes like children do, right? And we discovered something very special in there. We discovered a He-Man sword and shield and a Skeletor sword and shield for both me and my brother. And I brought a picture of that. If you, that's, that's Steve-O. And, and my brother, as soon as we opened up our boxes on Christmas Day, by the way, kids, behind me, okay, that's a TV. That's not a piece of furniture. That's a television, okay? It wasn't a flat screen back then, okay? But anyway, that was the moment that we opened it. And so what you don't see in that picture is the moment it clicks off, I immediately take my stand and I swung at my brother. And his happy little blonde-headed face turned to terror immediately. And he instantly sticks his shield up, and boy, it was on in that little living room. We were just wham, 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 throwing it down on each other. And the thing about it is, it was, it was really cool because those swords lit up, you know, and they kind of made some noise, like ching, ching, when you, when you hit it. But what was necessary is that shield, because if you don't have the shield, there was liable to be some broken fingers and some elbows, uh, scraped up. The shield was essential. And if you looked at those shields, they were so cool. They had all kinds of cool stickers from Masters of the Universe on it. But when I thought about, you know, that picture, uh, I, I remembered how Jesus promises us that he is going to be our shield, that he is going to be our defense. And as silly as, as that might be, you know, as I reminisce about that, Jesus really is our shield in the face of attack either from the culture or from sometimes ourselves, or from other things that would seek to do us harm. So if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis. We're going to look at Jesus and how He is our shield. We're going to be talking about God, how He talked to Abram and told him to not be afraid because Jesus is our shield and our very great reward. If you have a copy of, your God, of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to 15, Genesis 15, 1 and 5 and 6. We're going to read the first verse, and then we're going to skip down to verses 5 and 6 this morning. It'll be also be on your screen this morning. Let's look at Genesis 15, verses 1 and 5 and 6. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your Reward shall be very great. Skip down to verse 5, and it says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There are three promises here that we can identify from verse 1. Abram had a call from God. Therefore, God gave him a promise of faithfulness, and God promises that he would be his protection when he says, I am your shield. But before Abram was given these three promises, he was commanded to do something very specific, wasn't he? Abram was given a command not to fear. That's where God's dialogue with Abram began. Not with, the, not with a promise of being a shield or not a promise of protection, but he starts out with Abram having a reassurance 
that he doesn't need to be afraid of the Almighty. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting how God commands Abram to to not fear, almost as if Abram can turn his fear off and on like, like a light switch almost. Just don't be afraid. However, I think it's, it's a timely and needed command for believers to take to heart, to not be afraid because God is with us and not to be afraid of God as well, not to be controlled or, or pulled around by the things that make us afraid or by any emotion, but to have the faithfulness to allow God to be exactly who He is for us, our rock and our sustainer. Our focus is what consumes us. And I think that's, that's not rocket science to anybody in here. What we focus on can be something that totally consumes our mind's attention and our heart's affection. It controls all of our, or dictates all of our energies, and it can be overwhelming to us at times. When fear happens to be the focus of our mind's attention, when all our energy and all of our free time is spent on our fears, we find ourselves controlled by it instead of being victorious over it in the power of Christ. In other words, fear that has an improper place in the believer's heart and mind is occupying a place reserved solely for the Lord. And this is how God wants us to live, or this is not how God wants us to live. To be clear, the things we fear can fear the most can become dangerous idols in our life. Now, believe it or not, our fears can, be, can become idols if, if we're not careful. Idols aren't always objects of positive value or objects that we lust over. An idol is simply, simply any object or person or thought that we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on more than Jesus. It can be any of those things. If we refuse to, to take our fears to Jesus, our fears may not only have an outsized role in our life, but a dominant one. This is why our emotions, be them positive, negative, fear, happiness, joy, elation, whatever they are, all of our emotions must be submitted to Jesus daily, if not sometimes moment to moment. Fear had apparently clouded Abraham's judgment. This is why God started out this way. Don't be afraid. He knew exactly what, where Abram was before the conversation ever started. Fear had apparently, again, clouded Abram's judgment and he needed God's protection before God was going to give him any more information. Abram saw the goodness of God. God wanted to bless him and change his life and do something powerful through him. But it seemed Abram's default emotion when confronted with God was for some reason fear. There are many factors that probably contributed to this, but just as our fears do as well. But you'll notice that God had, be had to begin by changing Abram's perspective from the very beginning. He had to change it from fear to something else before he could tell him the rest of his plan and do a mighty work in Abram's life. God wasn't being cold or indifferent to Abram, by the way. Just saying, don't be afraid. He wasn't trying to be cold or indifferent to what Abraham was feeling. God saw Abram's fear, acknowledged it, but he also 
If you'll notice here, he moved quickly to remind Abraham of the truth about God's role in Abram's life. He went, don't be afraid. Okay, take that to heart. Now let me tell you the truth. Here's what I am in your life. God reminded Abram that, no, I'm not someone you need to fear in this way. In fact, Abram, I am your shield. I am your source of protection, your source of refuge. And how many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, walk around with a similar fear, perhaps, that Abram had, that one day God isn't going to protect us or our families. We sometimes live with a a paralyzing fear sometimes, if we're honest, that we might get sick or have some sort of life-debilitating event come our way, that that in somehow God is going to drop the hammer in our lives. But God reminds Abram that he is a shield, not a source of pain, not a source of punishment, but God is your shield and your source of refuge. Shields protect. But they are also offensive weapons toward our enemy. However, I think the best description of a shield, at least a shield of this time, is the refuge from attack that it provided a soldier. That these, so, these shields were so big, they could, they could actually get underneath them and shield them from, from whatever attack is coming their way. And I think this paints a beautiful word picture for God's protective work in our lives, both in our individual lives, our lives as a family, our lives as believers, and as a church. I want us to understand what God does and what God does not promise Abram in this passage. God doesn't promise Abram that the arrows would cease because he is a shield. That if you just have God as your shield, no more arrows are going to come your way. Or that attacks are never going to come again. Or that the shield is going to scare off any would-be attackers or prevent any one-day battles. It doesn't say any of this at all. However, God does imply that while we do these things and we take refuge in Him, that these things will come to our, our, our way, will come our way. And that the closer you keep to the shield, the closer you keep to the master, the closer you keep to the, sh- to the shepherd, the greater your ability to spiritually and emotionally survive. That you're, not the on- that you're not only able to survive an attack or survive calamity when it comes, but you're able to thrive regardless of what you face. And I really do mean that. Regardless of what you face face. Whatever you do face, you're able to thrive under that when we view God as a shield and a refuge. God alone stands between us and the situation as a shield in order to prevent our own implosion and potential fatal wounds due to what we face. And this text isn't detached from this application either. Notice at the beginning of verse 1, the text says, after this, well, the natural question is, after what things? What is, what is Moses trying to communicate in this passage? After what things? Moses is re- referring to what happened in the previous chapter. In chapter 14, Lot is rescued by Abram and 318 of his men in a middle-of-the-night secret raid from the kings of ancient Mesopotamia that captured Lot. Abram is afraid that because he believed, he believed those armies were going to regroup, pursue him, and kill him 
because of this raid. So even when Abram was doing the right thing in rescuing his friend and his possessions, he still had to face those from whom he needed protection. And we shouldn't think that just because we are believers, that when we act morally or ethically or kindly in all possible ways and situations, that there won't be people in situations from which God continues to need, continues to, need to be our shield as well. I think this is why God starts off this way with Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am your shield. I think this is why God starts this way. It's so easy to be confused about God's presence and His protection when situations like this come against us. We're very good at saying when things are going well, God's my protection and He's my refuge. But when the world starts crumbling around us, when we start feeling that fear it's very easy to go, God, where are you? And not only where are you, but I thought you would protect me. How are we going to interpret God protecting us in those situations when everything seems to be following, following, uh, falling apart around us, especially when we're trying our best to live for the Lord? When we are in those positions, I'm going to go back to Abram's call. It was the fact that God called him, it was the fact that God promised his faithfulness and the fact that God promised his protection. And these are all ingredients in our shield of faith. Notice it's in the middle of Abram's crisis. Y'all see this? It's in the middle of Abram's crisis when God speaks most clearly. And oddly enough, it's when Abram seems to be the most receptive to the voice of God. Have you ever been in this type of position? where you feel this fear, where you feel this, this fear running over you and, 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 you, and you know that you're most receptive to the voice of God and to change in those situations. I think we've all been there in one time or another. God said that he's Abram's shield. So what does God shield us from? Let's get a little specific. What specifically can God shield us from? The first thing I want us to consider is enemies, genuine enemies. Okay, Consider those in Scripture who had very real enemies. Moses, David, Jesus himself, Paul, and the early church as a whole. Believers can't be all too surprised when we have enemies. That doesn't mean we should rush to make enemies, but when someone views us as an enemy, do you view yourself as the sword that vanquishes all your enemies, or do you look to Christ to be your shield? And, and I think it's very clear that, that when we have that fear that we are not supposed to be the offensive, that Jesus promises to be our shield and fight for us. Because it says very clearly in Scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay. This isn't yours, you just find refuge in me. And the second is the source of those attacks, Satan himself. You may ask, if I'm a Christian, why do I need God as a shield from Satan on a daily basis. Why do I need this all the time? Because the devil is always pursuing you. We have this very clearly from the New Testament that the devil is always pursuing us. You don't have to find Satan. He will find you. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.8. Turn in your scriptures to 1 Peter 5.8 this morning. Let's look in our scriptures at 1 Peter 5.8. Peter gives us some very clear uh, instructions regarding being watchful for the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, 
Peter writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells that believers should be sober-minded, that our clarity of thought needs to be exactly where it needs to be in relationship to Christ. Not only sober-minded, but we should be the active in being watchful over what Satan could be doing in our lives. Be, be sober-minded, condition, be watchful, that's action. Your adversary, he, he says it very clearly, that your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a what? Like a roaring lion. We're seeing the teeth, we're seeing the, 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 the paws coming out, and he's just looking around for someone to devour. Now, Obviously, a lion isn't going to, going to go against those who have strong protection. The lion is going to go against the most vulnerable in the herd. The easiest prey possible. This is why Peter tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful, to not be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, to always see Jesus as our shield and remain there. But obviously, we can, defe we can defeat Satan as well, as it says in James 4, 7. It says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want us to notice something very interesting about this, how these two things go together. It doesn't say, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, put a period on it. It has a qualifier at the front, doesn't it? It says that we are to submit ourselves therefore to God. That's the condition that we have to meet in order to resist, it's not as if we are resisting on our own power, as if we're strong enough, smart enough, or have the abilities on our own to fight against the devil. Newsflash, you don't. Jesus is the only one working through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can resist the devil. But we have to do something. We have to submit ourselves in every way to God. And then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to resist the devil. And I love this part. He will do what from you? He will flee from you. I love this aspect. I mean, let's read it again. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sometimes we think when we see the devil, oh, I see the devil and I've got to just tuck tail and run. But we see in this passage, if I'm in the Holy Spirit, I can stand up to him. I can say this far, no further. And not only can I say this far, no further with my life, I can say it in regard to my kids. I can say it with my family. I can say it with my church. I can say it with you. This far, no further. It says resist, to push back, to fight against something. It doesn't say to just necessarily tuck tail and run. It says if you're in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the power to resist this stuff. And then what is the result? The most evil force on the earth does what to your resistance? It moves from you as if there is fear of what's inside of you. Christian, you have more power than you realize. With the Holy Spirit in your life, you have far more power than you could ever know. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that when we resist, that when we stand up in the power of the Spirit, that He runs from us. And thirdly, temptation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10.3. 10 uh, 1 Corinthians 10.3. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, has the power to guard us, to shield us in temptation. Now we all have the things that tempt us. 
Okay, If I asked the 100 people in here this morning, what tempts you? I'm going to get about 200 different answers or more. Okay, And Satan tailor-makes these type of temptations in order to get at your heart specifically. What tempts me may not tempt you. And what tempts you doesn't have any type of effect on my life. Temptations are tailor-made by Satan in order to trip you up. And he doesn't care what he trips you up with just as long as you're tripped up. And so it says this in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth. He says, no temptation. That's yours. That's mine. That's as silly as it may seem or as depraved as the temptation may seem. He says, no temptation. This encompasses every bit of it. And that's for all times, all places, cultures, and lands. No temptation has overtaken you, has dominated you, rules you, has a kingly place in your life. No temptation owns this because you're a child of His. It says no temptation has overtaken you. That is absolutely common to man. God is what? Faithful. You have another promise of God's faithfulness and He will not let you. That God draws lines in the sand with you and with Satan, with how much he can attack you. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of what? Of escape. And this is why we run to the refuge of the cross. This is why we run to the refuge of Jesus being our shield. That Jesus is not just one of other ways of escape. Jesus is our means of escape that we run to Him every time we feel tempted, if we have the boldness to run and hide under His shield, if we have the boldness and the courage to do this, He provides a way out and He fights against the prowling lion that is seeking to devour us. He says that you may be able to endure it. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing that Jesus guards us from as a shield is bitterness. Is bitterness. It can be easy, so easy, to become bitter when we see injustices done to Christians or injustices done to ourselves. But Paul reminds us, and he understands, how God is our shield when it comes to a proper perspective on situations that can make us sad and make us bitter. Because of who we are in Christ, it changes everything about our perspective and how we view hardship and pain. Let's look at Philippians 1-2 really quick. Philippians 1.12, excuse me. Philippians 1.12. Philippians 1.12. Philippians 1.12. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, I want you to know. I want you to know this. Take it and memorize it, in other words. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to do what? To advance the gospel. So when we see things happen in our lives, if we're submitting our lives to the, to the cause of Christ, that God can take anything, any broken piece in our life and take it and use it for His good purpose to advance the gospel. But if we go back to Genesis, we go back to Genesis 15, God promises something very unique to Abraham. He says, you, God will be your very great reward. And I love every single word in that particular statement. Your you possess, you possess it individually, that God is yours. He is your personal reward, the same reward Abram, Moses, John, 
Paul have in Jesus is the same reward that you also have in him. Your great reward, better than average, amazing, fantastic, unbelievable, very, even more great than just great. It's beyond and above and beyond what is being talked about. Your very great reward, your prize, your benefit, your treasure. And you, believers, if you are in him, Jesus himself is your great reward. What is Abram's great reward? God himself. That's the one thing that Abram has that the four kings of Mesopotamia that were pursuing him didn't have and couldn't even take from him in death. And here's the verse I want to conclude with this morning. Let's look at Romans, and this will be the last thing we look at this morning. Let's look at Romans 8. Let's look at Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in where all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this morning, if you do not have Jesus as your very great shield, if you don't have him as your very great reward, I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to implore you to repentance this morning. As our team comes, let's consider whether we are having the same level of faith as Abram and trusting Jesus as our very great reward. Let's pray together.